each view is not a view for yourself. It's a view for the team. Each follower is not a view for yourself. It's a follower for the team. The more everyone supports each other, the more everyone works collaboratively, it builds this collective platform. That's the beauty of Phenom. Welcome back to the Simon Says Podcast, where each episode I invite you to join me in my conversations with the world's most interesting people, inspiring you to see where your curiosity takes you. I'm your host, Simon Wong, and today I welcome Cole Nevins to the show. Cole is a 17-year-old high school student and entrepreneur from Long Island, New York. He's the founder and CEO of Phenom Media, a sports media outlet that's empowering young writers and content creators to share their sports knowledge by giving them an organized platform to do so without having to worry about gaining followers or subscribers or viewers. Today's episode will explore the roots of Cole's passion for sports starting in his early childhood and then reflect on the evolution of the passion project that became Phenom Media. My hope is that Cole's journey with Phenom strikes a chord with you and encourages you to trust the process and start a project of your own because you never know where that curiosity might take you. Unfortunately, throughout our time and our conversation, Cole and I did experience some connection issues, so I apologize. There are a few audio blips and jumps throughout the episode, so I hope you don't mind. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Cole Nevins. All right, Cole, it's great to have you on the show, man. Uh, First of all, thank you for your time. And I'm going to start off right away by asking you to talk a little bit about your background with sports. When is your earliest memory of watching sports or playing sports and really feeling that love and connection for sports? Yeah, that's going to be the theme of this entire interview. My life is sports. I know you're looking at my background right now. Uh, I guess the audience can't see completely. I got trophies from a variety of sports. I got baseballs in the back, bobbleheads, everything. You know, if you if I turn my screen a little bit right here, I have a two baseball jerseys and a hockey jersey. Like it's, it I dip my feet into everything, and that's really how I got into it. Playing everything from a young age, but then watching everything too. You know, it's a theme that's continued throughout my life that I really try to learn about everything possible. I don't like to have this tunnel vision. And I guess that's the spirit of being an entrepreneur, which is always to keep your eyes open and your ears open to everything. So from a young age, I started simple. I watched the classic sports center, which has been ruined over the years by uh, for a variety of reasons. But that's a story for another day. But the, cl- <laughs> the classic old school sports center, you come on with the bottom line and the lineup of uh, topics on the left side of the screen. And being the crazy person as, as I was, I'd wake up at 6.30 in the morning. I'd sprint downstairs onto the couch because I didn't have a TV in my room. And I'd sit and I'd just learn. I'd soak it in. And I like to say that we were lucky at the time growing up, since we're around the same age range, that we weren't just completely invested in, you know, all this technology and iPads and games and stuff. And we actually had to, like, sit down and look at baseball cards when we were younger and read the read the stats when we were bored and things like that. So when I was younger, I used to collect these cards and I'd, I, you know, read the stats off the back and that's where I just, be, you know, got my passion for sports and, and learning the game and really the analysis side of stuff and, and 
taking passion and learning who the players are and learning who the teams are and the history of teams. I'm a buff on that part. I'm a nerd when it comes to logos and, and team history and everything along those lines. So that's the best way I can put it. It's just hopefully the introduction introduces myself to the audience well. <laughs> I guess I can say I'm a crazy person in the best sense. Definitely the best sense because you have this crazy curiosity for so many different parts of the sports world. I like to think of the sports world often as just this great connector between both cultures and different areas and locations geographically around the world. I think, you know, soccer is like a huge sport around the world. That's like a huge connector when the world cup, those years are just, you know, billions of people watching these games. And I think just in general, just this idea of connectivity actually serves towards education as well. And I'm wondering how you think sports may have impacted the way that you approach education. Did you, in your early years for schooling ever find yourself like drawn to one subject or multiple subjects? Because it's my hunch that because you were interested in so many things in sports, that may have translated into the classroom a little bit. Did you find yourself having those similar breadth of curiosity in the classroom as well? Or was it different? That's an excellent question. Hmm. You're really putting me on the spot here. Um, (laughs) The subjects that I'm passionate about right now are definitely things along the writing side, which is English and history. And I take world language, so Spanish and things like that. And that's a big part of Spanish, which I love to say, is that from my experiences of playing soccer at the highest level in the United States, I got to play in, I'm in a hotbed of cultures in, in New York. And I got to learn, you know, the cultures of so many different kids, you know, whether they were Spanish, Italian, uh, all, I mean, all types of different things. And that gave me my passion on, on that end. But I'm much more of a writer and creativity. I don't like to, I, I'm not a big fan of math and science because I feel like it's very rigid. You know, everything's cut and dry. It's black and white. When I have creative freedom to write about what I want and I could let loose, that's why I love things like English and history and even Spanish when you're able to write and express yourself. That's right up my alley. How have you translated that sports curiosity, passion, whatever you want to call it, just this, this affinity towards sports? When did you start to actually do something with that besides play sports or collect baseball cards and things like that? When did you start to turn it around and make it into something that the world could see? Perfect question. And here's the perfect answer. August of 2012, I started Colon Sports. And that was my first introduction to sports media. So the story I always love to tell is that my father, when I was younger, I'd go and I just you know, ramble all these things about sports to him. I never knew I was like this sports buff when I was younger. And he's like, Cole, he's like, you got to do something with this, man. You can't just sit here telling me the whole thing. You got to share this. So we created a blog website when I was eight years old. And every single morning for years, I'd wake up. And after watching that Sports Center episode, I'd write about whatever I was you know, interested in that happened the day before in sports. And of course, it was the writing of a a kid in elementary school, but I look back on it now and I smile because some of it is just incredible, not only to look back, just the nostalgia of it, but that's where the passion really lies. And I remind myself now running this whole business and the stress of school and college 
coming up, obviously, and and playing sports. And then you look back then, this goes for everyone. You're like, this is why I fell in love with sports because I was able to do this every day and I love doing this. And that's what pushes me to keep going today. So Cole on sports lasted um, until December of 2019, where I really became enamored with the business side of things. And that segued into uh, the birth of Phenom Media, which we'll talk about extensively during this uh, show, I believe. And now I got a hundred kids from around the country working under my wing and, and working together collaboratively to produce sports content across all platforms. And, of all sports. Yeah, that's, it's amazing that as a fourth grader, you're learning to build a website. I mean, did you build that out on your own or was it something that was, I don't, I'm not sure what was around at that time. It's hard for me even to think back then because I don't think I was on the internet, but what was it like starting that back in 2012? WordPress. And actually that's the best part about it. There's so many different platforms that you can do. I mean, there's Wix, there's Squarespace, there's WordPress. And we just thought the easiest thing back then was WordPress. We started a a very simple website with a red colon sports headline on the top. And it was pretty simple. You write in your title, you type in the article, you press submit. No no graphics, no video editing, nothing. That's the funniest part of the industry now is that there's so much that goes into it. Where back then it was was just very simple. And I guess you you can say I missed part of that, but again, I'd be hypocritical versus what I said earlier about the uh, being able to express the creativity. You can't do that much when you're just writing articles every day. That's true. I think what I think is so interesting about this, you starting at such a young age was I think you had that like child naivete where you're not worried so much about what other people think about what your writing is and I think that's some, that's sometimes a stumbling block for people as they move as they get older I think it gets harder and harder for people to put content out there because they're worried about what other people think they're worried about what it looks like and so I, I really find it interesting that you were able to do that at a young age and do you think that that played a role moving forward in how you approached media absolutely and I see now and it affects me to this day where I'm worried about likes and views and comments. And we spoke about this before we started recording. I said, you know, audience is always first, go listen to them. But the passion is what lies into it. And the passion is what builds it. And eventually those likes and comments and views will come if you have the talent and you have the passion to talk about it. Because I don't know about you, but I like listening to people that are really passionate about things and not, you know, faking it while they go. And back then I wasn't concerned about, you know, my road to monetization or, you know, controlling all the aspects of it. I was concerned about talking about sports and and putting out the best story in my head possible and just speaking my mind. And and then that's raw passion, Simon. That's really all it is. Definitely is. I mean, to be a fourth grader and be writing about something, I mean, what, what drove you to, to use that medium of writing rather than just talking about sports at the dinner table or something? I think that, you know, some people will have like a crazy uncle that's like a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan or something like that. For those of my, uh, in Pennsylvania here, we got a lot of Eagles fans. What drove you to that medium? Well, I would always go with the crazy uncle whenever I was at, uh, <laughs> at dinner or, or the dad. It's so funny. I'd, I'd be younger and, and still, I, still to this day, I do the same thing, maybe less to of an extent. But I'd be like at a friend's house and then I'd sit and talk about sports with their dad for like 45 minutes. My friend's like, hey, you know, Cole, I'm here too. You know, uh, <laughs> don't forget about me. 
but that was like I get sucked into it and it goes on and on and on. And the best thing about what I said before, dipping my feet into so many different sports, I'm actually able to have a conversation, whether it's talking to someone about Formula One racing or the NHL or the MLB or anything. You know, I like to be able to talk to everyone about every single subject and I make an effort to learn about it, not just, oh yeah, no, I don't I don't follow that. No, this, this is a good story I always like to tell as well. When I, the first time I started playing soccer at a high level, so a club level, I left my town team, I joined the club team, and the kids there were all talking about international football. So I, I'll call it football for the sake of this because I love to. And I think soccer is one of my least favorite words in the entire dictionary because it is just, oh, it's so, it's like the most Americanized term in the entire world. It, it, it makes me crazy. But all these kids were talking about it, and I was like, holy crap, I'm like, I'm totally out of the loop. I need to understand this more. So I went and I played FIFA and watched soccer for uh, or football for an entire year until I learned it. And then ever since I was on that track of understanding the international game, that's a perfect example. And, you know, kids are like, oh, like how do we get into it? I'm like, go play Madden, go play FIFA, learn about these different sports. There's so many resources now. There's so many books, podcasts, you know, football for dummies. Like, I mean, there's everything you can ask for uh, these days. It's, it's almost as if there's no excuse for not knowing where to start. I mean, I guess that would be my only caveat is that there may be a sense of analysis paralysis in some people's minds these days. So you talk about video games, podcasts, would your advice be for someone that's looking to get into, even if it's not sports, even if it's not sports, where to start, would it be, you know, just pick your choice i guess that's really it's like an all you can eat buffet it's whatever you're comfortable with you know there's people that still don't like listening to podcasts and it's an interesting industry because i've dipped my feet into it a ton as well and personally i love listening to them i think it's raw conversation there's there's a real fine line between scripted content and podcast content you know just as well as myself scripted content you write out you can carefully articulate exactly what you want to have in there and you can refine it have someone else look over it and edit it versus podcast when you have this raw conversation you could be repeating yourself over and over you can have thoughts that come in on the fly and conversations that you never expected to have you know you have this whole list of questions and we're going on and off and that's the beauty of it it's not just an a b a b conversation so on that end it's really whatever you're comfortable listening to I'm not going to force anyone to listen to a podcast if they don't want to. I'm not going to force anyone to read an article if they don't want to. That's the beauty of having all these mediums these days. You have, again, you have no excuse to not find a way. You know, as they say, Google's free. That's so true. So true. I was, I'm wondering, with all of these mediums out there, all these ways to consume information, that means someone on your end as the media producer has numerous ways to export content to your audience. And do you find it hard to meet every single demand? It feels like it's like there's so many boxes to check nowadays. Yeah, and as someone who gets overwhelmed very quickly, it is the most overwhelming experience out there to choose where you want to, you know, big headline comes up and it's like, holy crap, where am I going to put this? Do I want to make an article out of it? Do I want to make a breaking news post on Instagram, a tweet about it? Do I want to make a TikTok? talk analysis of it do i make a 15 minute youtube video it's like what am i supposed to do it makes me go i mean makes my head spin but that's the challenge of it to answer your question simon you know you need to find that fine line of 
here's my audience. What's the best way we could put this out there for everyone? So, you know, you give me a story. I can probably tell you how I would uh, handle it if you want to do it on the fly and, and give me a quick test. Hmm. Let's see. I, I usually am pretty up to date on sports. Let's talk Man City winning the Premier League. What would you go with for that story? So since that's more of an overarching story, something I think would be very cool on that end if I was to make a content out of that is you talk about their path this season winning it and not just what happened in the last week or a game recap of the Manchester United game that led up to it. I'm a, I'm a Manchester United supporter myself. No, they had, a, they had a massive turnaround this season, Manchester City. So that could be something you write about and, you know, how Manchester City went from, uh, you know, bottom of the top 10 to, to champions in that, in that span and completely flip their team around despite the loss of De Bruyne. You talk about that and, you know, maybe you make a, a YouTube video out of it and make some sort of a timeline, segment it a bit. But that's the beauty of it. But if not, you can make a breaking news post about it and have people react to it. Or you can make a tweet or a TikTok video of the 10 fans in front of the Etihad celebrating together because Manchester City has no supporters. <laughs> <laughs> Manchester is blue right now. Um, Are you a city supporter? I'm sorry to say, I am uh, not a city supporter. I'm a Liverpool fan, so I am hurting just as much as you right now. I mean, I'm sorry that uh, Leicester <laughs> beat us, and I thought that was a victory in my mind. You know that that brings Liverpool out of Champions League play, and uh, you know we're fine. We're locked in that too. We'll have to see if Klopp gets sacked. He's one of my favorite managers in the world. You want to talk about ah. someone that I can listen talk to all day. You want to talk about someone with passion, who's a, a master communicator, a master organizing. I absolutely look up to how Jurgen Klopp manages that team. He's a true leader. I feel the exact same way. I would if he if he does get fired, which is probably a, a likely chance. Um, I would hate to see him go because I've loved what he's done with the club in the past. When did he get hired? You're the sports brain. When when did he start <laughs> in Liverpool? Do you know? Oh, when did he start there? I mean, it was after after Rogers, right? Yeah, after so, Brendan Rogers. Yeah, seven or eight years, maybe. Let's yeah, check. I'm thinking maybe we 2014. Have to, we, have to, we have to go. We have to head over the stats. Uh, I'm thinking 2014. That's my guess. Right. We'll look it up right now. Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool. All right, it's uh, Wikipedia. Bum, ba, dum. Let's see. 2015. Okay, okay, okay. Dortmund before, so that's uh, yeah. six years. Yeah, great manager. I mean, he usually leaves. Like, he left Dortmund with an absolute, like, uproar everyone just gave him this huge farewell so i would expect the same bringing uh liverpool their first premier league last year so yeah he yeah. was there for seven seasons tough, at, at dortmund so i guess it would keep the trend going but it's so funny yeah. that, that system of how even in all sports how some of these managers just really find a way to stick in the league and perfect example is uh is jose Mourinho, who just finds a way to find a new team every year it's unbelievable how he does it but he's just such a genius that you want you're just like, he's like a magnet. Like you got to get some, you got to at least experience, have some of the Jose experience for your club. I literally cannot keep track of where that man is at. Like if you were to <laughs> ask me, I may not know. I, I may mix it up. He's at Roma now. 
So he just let, he got uh, sacked from Tottenham. We don't know if that mm-hmm. was because of everything that happened with the Super League, which was an absolute uh, disaster. But he was passionate about not joining it. And potentially there was a dispute between him and uh, the Levy owners at Tottenham. And he was let go there and he went straight to Roma. It took him a few weeks and he already found a new home in Italy. That's Super League stuff. We won't get into it here, but that was absolute atrocity. I was disgusted. I still have a bad taste in my mouth, and I'm sure you do too. Oh, it's terrible. And, it, it, and you, know, you want to talk about what we were talking about earlier with, with passion and remembering why you play and, and why you stay in the game. That's the beauty of football more than any sport in the United States where everything is so economically driven and you know everything has to has a route back to revenue and stuff. The tradition of football across Europe and, in, and internationally, Europe especially, it's unmatched. And promotion relegation, which I think is one of the most creative systems in the entire world of sport, all thrown out the window because 12 greedy men decide to bring their teams for economical benefits. It's unbelievable. And the comparison I gave for my uh, American friends was I said, imagine if you know, 12 college football teams came together, left their conferences, left the NCAA, and said, screw you, we're making the super conference, and did it for economical purposes. And imagine how bad that would be with the fact that the players, I mean, right now everything's in flux, but that they can't, the student athletes can't make any money. Imagine how much worse that would be if <laughs> those student athletes who are dying to get money from these schools are sucked into the super conference. And it's like, well, we're going to make extra money, but not you guys. And that would be, I mean, that would have set the United States on fire. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, yeah. What we saw in Europe would have been times two in the United States when it comes to football, I feel like, you know, like European fans are crazier than US football fans, but just the scale and the amount of like viewers and like how Americans would react differently. I think that, you know, it would be an order of magnitude worse here in America. Absolutely. And thank God it's over <laughs> all, all 72 hours of the. Oh week. my gosh. Yeah. Talk about a whirlwind. Yeah, I'm glad it only lasted that long. What's next up? Speaking of managers. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, speaking of managers, we're talking about this, you know, managers in football and how they, you know, Jurgen Klopp is just the embodiment of passion. And so I'm wondering how, as a manager of a company, do you find inspiration through sports leaders? Great segue. I like to really pay attention to how they communicate and organize and one of the most underrated aspects that everyone forgets about being the CEO is not that you have your name under that title and that you get to you know, control everything, but it's A, how you interact one-on-one and B, how you interact to your team. And what I, one of the things I love doing that just came naturally to me is sending memos. And in the world we live in today, where it's so easy to communicate in so many different mediums, I love the memo. I think it's one of the greatest tools in the world. And considering that I run a company that's completely digital, you know, I haven't, there's a hundred of us or around a hundred of us. I've only met in person 15 to 20 of those kids at max when COVID, you know, really slows down, which it looks like we're heading on the right path. 
I'd love to take a, a, a United States tour and, and meet some of these kids in person because I think there's nothing that matches meeting people in person face to face. But the communication aspect of it, it's it's extremely crucial. And then look, I don't know exactly what goes on behind the scenes, but I love watching those documentaries and things like hard knocks over the summer with the NFL and seeing how those coaches interact with their players and even the smaller stuff, you know, how they tell a player that they're getting cut from the team. It's a real thing. I've, I've had to cut people from the Phenom team before because of their performances. That's a real aspect of it. And people forget that part. And it's not easy. You know, it's like apologizing to your parents sometimes, you know, you got to do it, but it's never easy. Yeah, so we uh, misconnected there for a second, but we are back and, and talking. So the analogy I was saying beforehand was, if you want a real specific of what I, to answer your original question of what I watch when I'm relating as a manager of a company myself to a coach, which I think is really the same industry of leadership as an umbrella term, is the specific example of how to cut somebody, how to fire somebody. One of the hardest conversations you could ever have with, a, with another human is telling them they're not good enough or they that didn't do a good enough job and, and letting them go. And at the same time, learning how to properly handle it and how to encourage it and not dig them a hole into the ground and put them in it. You know, things along those lines, how to do it the proper way. So it really is the same industry. It's not the coaching industry and the, and the management industry. That is a leadership industry, Simon. Oh, that's, that is gold right there. That is absolute gold. I've heard, I've heard from many different people, many different coaches, motivational speakers, just that exact same kind of idea of that. None of this stuff is different folks. Like this is all leadership. The core and root of all this is leadership. And, you know, you mentioned letting people go of your team. I wonder why do you have to, what about these people makes you have to let them go? You know, like, why were they not right for Phenom? Is it a lack of motivation? Is it that they don't fit in with the company's culture? Is that they're not meeting their deadlines? What do you find is the biggest problem in some of your young, you know, you're, you're recruiting young kids that are our age and in our generation. So what do you think is their biggest downfall? Yeah, so the number one thing would be motivation out hating the deadlines. And it's not because it's, it's my deadlines, like, I want you to do this. And if you don't, you're out. It's seeing some of these other kids put the work in every single day. And then there's other kids that don't match it and they just ignore it. And that sends another message to the rest of the people. You know, I'm like, Hey, hit your deadlines. And then he's like, well, he did it and he's still here. So why do I need to you know? I like mm. to keep, have people set that culture around and, and establish that, you know, this isn't a whole get your work in here. And then like, I'm extremely flexible. You know, I, I believe in that and I believe things happen all the time and you never know the full story about what's happening. In some of these kids lives. And it's not fair to just be like, you get your thing in, you're out. But I like to keep that culture and, and establish, you know, that organization. Again, I'm crazy when it comes to organization and, and everything being, you know, in line, but you need to set that example for the rest of your team. And it's not just me. It starts with the other kids setting an example for their peers. And when they see other kids really battle each other to, in the, in the best way possible, battling to produce content and, and outmatch their view counts and things like that, that's the healthy competition that you need within your company. 
you know, not people setting examples of getting away with not doing their job. And, and our, th- our policy is one piece of content per month. I think it's an extremely fair uh, policy considering the schedules that everyone has, but it really matters how you handle it. And what I always say is I provide these kids with the, with the platform and the opportunity and the people to make it work and to advance their personal platform and their intelligence in the field and knowledge in the field. And it's their choice if they want to take advantage of it or not. No, I will always let people in as long as they're, as long as they're decent and passionate about it, but it's their choice. If they want to see it as just something that they want to, you know, put on their resume, like, Hey, I work at Phenom. What do you do? Well, uh, not much. What's the value in that? You know, it doesn't hurt me hurts them. I think people should be able to prove that they did something. That's their loss. I love that philosophy. I think that sometimes when you have a group of go-getters like you do at Phenom Media, it can be hard to foster that healthy competition without, you know, fostering resentment between people and sometimes jealousy and things like that. How do you balance that? Is it just something like there might be something about sports that makes it easier. Maybe it's about writing. Maybe it's that it's media that makes it easier. But what do you find as a good solution to combating those negative aspects of competition and creating healthy competition, like you mentioned? Well, I'll talk about one of the greatest things that I came up with, which was the Phenom performance chart. And the kids at Phenom know this very well. There was a period of time where, you know, I was seeing, I was reading the room and I saw the motivation was going down a bit. We were hitting a little bit of a, of a dead point. And I was like, damn, like, how can I, what can I do to fix this? And I like to come up with creative solutions. I'm not a freak out and panic and say, all right, it will get better eventually. You know, I like to find creative solutions. So what I did was I created an Excel sheet. I put everyone's name in the, in the, on the column. And I said, here you go. I made a point system for every single um, platform and type of content. And I said, you get points for the different types of content you produce and how they do in terms of views. And made a whole mathematical system out of it. Simple, but mathematical. And since that day, they're like, wow, I really want to compete and be at the top of that chain and and, and top of that ranking and, and be in that top five or be in that top 10. And for the other kids, hopefully, they see, oh, damn, like, I did nothing this month. I really got to pick it up next month and, and, and do that. So it goes by a monthly basis. and I reset the chart, but I participate too. I'm not just the CEO of, you know, controlling everything that goes around Phenom. I create content as well to A, show examples of what, you know, I think is quality and, and B to say, I'm not telling you guys just to do this. So you guys can work for me. I'm working as part of this collaborative team. It's not everyone for themselves. It's for the whole group. And I always say this is, and you're going to, you're going to like this quote. Each view is not a view for yourself. It's a view for the team. Each follower is not a view for yourself. It's a follower for the team. The more everyone supports each other, the more everyone works collaboratively, it builds this collective platform. That's the beauty of Phenom. That's what you can't get by running your own individual platform, which I saw myself do with Cole on Sports and other kids do and struggle to do themselves. This puts them all on the same page and they're working together to get to this common goal. That's the team aspect of it. Again, it's not everyone fighting for themselves. It's fighting as a team. I love that. I love the fact that you've, you've been able to 
find a way to create team where there's no physical location for you all to meet and feel that camaraderie and like the serotonin boost of just being around other people that you get when you're on a sports team and you're huddled up and you're getting fired up before a game. It feels like, you know, even by creating an Excel sheet, you've been able to kind of regenerate something like that, something like that feeling. And I think that's amazing. Um, but I'm wondering though, moving forward with Phenom, I've found that, you know, your mission and what you preach is giving a platform to your writers, your content creators, so that they have a voice. Because oftentimes, people of our age, we don't get taken seriously. So what is the key moving forward? Or I guess not the key, but how do you expand off of that? What's the vision moving forward? I'm so happy you mentioned the part about adults not taking kids seriously, because that is such a crucial point. And instead of being beat down by it, you have to overcome it. And this is a topic I love talking about because you go into any comment section, especially when it's a kid giving an opinion. And you go on TikTok, you see these kids giving opinions on there and the comments absolutely destroy them. Shut up. You're like 12. You don't even know what you're talking about. And I hate that because my vision when it comes to giving opinions about sports and about anything in general is that there is no such thing as a bad take unless you are not able to back it up with some sort of information and opinion. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? If you yeah. come in and say, like, my, my least favorite phrase in all of sports media is like, dude, you're dumb. You don't know what you're talking about. Why? You just are. And it's like, if I'm really that dumb, go tell me why it's that bad. Go tell me why my take, or the worst is like, bro, you're wrong. And it's like, all right, why? you just are or they don't respond and they know because they're like all right like I might not agree with it that's the part and I think that's a huge problem with with just social media in general right now when it comes to the hot take industry is that it's such a battle for likes and clicks but that's besides the point in terms of the interaction between the publisher and the audience it's very frustrating in today's day and age and I guess that's the downside of sports media now is that People put out these hot takes and then they try to defend them and they, and they put out their opinions, but then it's all people ripping them and it's not even you're wrong or I don't agree with you because blah, blah, blah. And then that starts a healthy discussion, a healthy argument. So going back to your original question with these kids, I tell them, as long as you are showing passion and knowledge, those two aspects, there's no such thing as a bad take. And if they say, if they don't take you seriously because you're a kid, that's not, you know, that that's on them. You know, this is sports. It's a, it's a language that everyone shares. As I said before, when I was 10, 11 years old, I'd go and talk to my friends, dads who are in their forties about sports and the, and the grandparents about it. It's a universal language. And of course, you know, older people learn more over time and have more experience and it's different talking to a younger kid, but I don't take younger kids less seriously because just because of an age and a number. In sports, they, they don't say younger players are worse because they're younger. You know, they have a different experience. Maybe that kid goes on and he listens to podcasts for three hours a day and reads the newspaper. And one of the dads doesn't because he's too busy with work and reads different information and, and sees something that an expert said. You know, it's the healthy conversation that's so important. And I think what I'm, I'm afraid about, if you want to talk about a fear, 
is how social media audiences will impact sports media going into the future, especially for kids. Are they just going to constantly shut down when people say because they don't agree with it? Or do you start healthy conversation? It's a huge point. But again, if you're showing knowledge and of course, the, the easiest way out is to produce content that is indisputable, which is stories and, and factual stuff and timelines and, and what ifs and things like that, where you're just, you know, tell, like evergreen content where you can just tell a story and there's really no opinion involved. That's the easy way out. And it's a great way out. And it's the future of the industry, in my opinion, of producing non-controversial content. But controversial content is part of everything. It's everywhere, Simon, and then it's, it's an aspect of it. And I'm just very curious to see how that develops over time. But if you want me to be brutally honest, I don't think it's going to magically improve one day and everyone's going to start being sunshines and rainbows in the comments. It's going to be war constantly, and it's not healthy. You, mer- you bring up a really good point about media in general. And just this idea that everything has some sort of opinion attached to it is why a lot of people have criticisms of even big corporate media when it comes to our current events and literally the news of what's happening in our world. And there needs to be a place. I I like how you said that for sports, there needs to like the future, there needs to be a place for just the factual some place where someone can get the baseline information Because when there's a place where everyone can agree a baseline of fact and truth, then you can get to opinionated conversations that get somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Because if we pull from different resources, I think I'm super into political current events. I'm a a huge nerd when it comes to DC and all of that stuff. And so what I find when I get into debates and conversations with people across the aisle we both are pulling from resources, completely different resources. I pull from the New York Times and from CNN. Let's say that as an example. They're pulling from, you know, the, the Washington Examiner and the Wall Street Journal. And like, that's just an example of a left versus a right. And I'm not saying that I'm left or right, but that's just a great example of it. And so do you see like a similar split in sports media? Absolutely. And I, I think you're, you gave a perfect example right there because it's extremely relevant into, into this society with political conversation. And now where both of us are coming to the age where kids going in, in high school and in college are able to actually have real political conversations and where they're knowledgeable about what's going on. And again, what we talked about before, there are so many resources where you can learn about what's going on in the world. But the problem with having so many resources, and you know, probably know exactly what I'm going to say, is that not all of them are legitimate and accurate. And that's the problem. And this is, not, this is not a left versus right issue. It is a media issue. And it is a issue about clicks and views and all those conflicting interests. And that, again, is what I'm scared about in this industry. Are people just putting things out there for clicks? It is so unbelievably dangerous especially in politics. In sports, it's different because you go on and you see some of the things that ESPN and Fox do, and you know that is 100% you know, BS and, and, and all you know, focused on getting clicks. You, you know it because you can read through the lines. But with politics, it's different because you know, a sports league you don't agree with isn't going to you know, cause massive debates and, and, and ruin friendships. But in politics, if people are pulling information from the wrong side, that's extremely dangerous. So I'm sure you see that 
as someone who probably talks politics even more than myself, it's, it, it, it's a really, really bad thing. That's such an insightful comment that you made there um, about the damage and destruction that this trend is capable of. And so to switch gears a little bit, this is something that you mentioned in one of your answers earlier about you just briefly said a sports expert. And I wonder, as we're kind of wrapping this conversation up, if we could leave the viewers with your idea of what a sports expert is, because in my opinion, it seems that sports is an interesting place where a fourth grader's opinion based off of what he's, you know, watched on sports center and, you know, he's come to a conclusion like colon sports, that's a legitimate opinion because sports doesn't, it's, it's not like, Oh, I have a degree in sports or it, it all comes either from experience or from what you're reading. And so what makes a sports expert to you? Because I think that's different than other fields, like where someone may be able to bring value to their name through a degree or through some sort of, you know, I guess start maybe starting a business or something like that. But where do you see a sports expert fitting in? What is your see, definition? It's becoming like, like a book. Like what is, what is, what is a sports <laughs> expert? And you can write a thousand chapters about what makes it into a sports expert, quote unquote, I'd say an extensive base of knowledge is the most important thing. You know, whether it's an expert in sports or an expert in one sport, you should be able to know whether it's history, present, future in terms of prospects and where the game is moving towards and have an extensive knowledge of all the teams and players and have a base of what you're able to compare things to, you know, analogies and everything along those lines. That's one. But two, the the practice of being a sports expert is being able to present the information and your opinions, whether that's through written form. You know, there are some people, and I experienced this, experienced this within Phenom, that are very shy but know a ton about sports. And they don't like to get in front of the camera and share their opinions. And they're not going to be the next Max Kellerman or, or, or Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Smith getting on screaming on first stick every day and giving all this entertainment. I think they're entertainers. There are other people that sit behind and more reserved, but they know much more, but they just can't present it in that same manner. So, you know, you may call those guys the sports experts that you see on TV every day. This is where this question is going to be answered. The misconception is that you think those guys are sports experts, but they're experts at entertainment and presenting. And I think the core of being a sports expert is being able to have that extensive base of knowledge and being able to present in the right way and not just for entertainment purposes. And that could mean through an article that's carefully meticulated and, you know, all these little pieces and, and it becomes some, more, some sort of a puzzle versus going out and blurting it. You know, you, you see in political arguments, and I'm sure you experience this firsthand, there are some people that are just loud and obnoxious and they're like, yeah, I'm an expert because they're so confident when they come out with it versus people that are more reserved, but they're scared to go against the bully. That is a real fine line. You know, I might have to write that down. That, that may need to be like a, a book or a video I work on or something. You're going to have to do it, man. I, maybe at least start with an article or a YouTube video or something. I got to see where this goes. Um, I'm satisfied for now, but I'm going to need to see more from you on that <laughs> note. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely getting written down a post-it note that's going somewhere. The final thought I have for you, Cole, is really just open this up to the listeners and you know, you've been someone that's been able to turn this passion project into something that's 
really gained a lot of momentum um, in the past year, a couple years or so that you've had it. What is your, what will be your advice, you know, points for motivation, um, something to inspire my audience to turn their curiosity into something like you've turned your passion for sports into Phenom Media? Yeah, so for the entrepreneurs listening or the kids that know that really want to be on that path, find the problems and fix them. And not just fix them, come up with creative solutions. Phenom's model is something that no one's ever seen. You know, how many companies can you name, not just in sports, but in anything that have a team of 100 kids coming together, working towards this model from around the country? It's the, my favorite part about it is not the, not the views and the followers. It's the idea and concept behind it. And it's putting these kids into this common community and connecting them. So my advice is to surround yourself by other smart people, because you're not always the smartest person in the room. There's always someone that can offer an extra piece of insight. No matter if you think they're the dumbest person in the room, they got to know something sometimes. And that piece of information can be built upon. Don't be afraid to collaborate with people, build ideas off of each other, work together, find inspiration by doing research and what you did. And, and you know, your performance today was the model of, of, of proper research. You went and you you went and you researched an old podcast I did from over quarantine. I give you complete credit for that. No, you didn't just sit through the first five minutes of the episode and wrote down a few notes and said, all right, check this off the list. Go to this LinkedIn. That's it. You went and you listened to it. And I give you so much credit for that. But some kids, they, they don't do that. They, and again, going back to our original conversation, when, when it comes to consuming news and media, they skim through it. They read the headline. Sometimes it's so much more than just the headlines, so much more than just the base. It's the inside of it. So I guess another piece of advice is to always look into the core of things and the heart of things and not just what's on the outside. All very important things and stick to your passions. Remember why you're there. This is, goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. Remember your roots. I don't know the full story about, behind why you started podcasting. I guess I'd love to hear that as well. But the reason why I'm still in sports media, I said, I remind myself that it just started with a with a blog and the computer and waking up in the morning and watching Sports Center and and typing whatever I thought into this, you know, media empire, whatever you want to call it right now, you know, or hopefully on the path to being a, a quote unquote media empire. That's the goal, obviously. But it's all part of it. Remember your passions, remember your roots, and remember and, and enjoy it. You know, if you're not doing something you enjoy, there's no point in doing it. School, the reason why people don't like it is because they don't enjoy it. It doesn't put a smile on their face all the time. So stick to what you love. Thank you so much for making it to the end of today's episode. I hope you found Cole's story as inspiring and motivating as I did because it surely made me want to get up off my butt and start moving because as a 17-year-old building a company, it's pretty amazing. If you did, please consider leaving me a rate or review on your podcast player. It helps tremendously in getting the show out to more listeners. If you'd like to learn more about Cole, Phenom Media, or any of the other topics we discussed in today's episode, I'll have links to all of Phenom's social media pages, as well as some other helpful links down in the description below. 
Thank you again for taking the time to listen to today's episode. I'll be back next week with another conversation. But until then, take care, and as always, stay curious.